Hi, and welcome to New Mexico in Focus, the podcast for Monday, October 17th, 2022. I'm your host, Lou DeVizio. I hope everyone's had a chance to get out and enjoy some of the changing colors outside. It's beautiful up on Sandia Peak. I'm sure it's beautiful up in Santa Fe and Jemez and really around the whole state. I wish I could get everywhere, but it, you know, it's been pretty dreary. I wish it wasn't quite so dreary, but still my favorite time of year around New Mexico. If you like politics, you probably feel the same way. We're definitely in the home stretch for election season. Over the next few weeks on New Mexico in Focus, we're going to be speaking with major candidates for several key offices, including governor, Congress, and Navajo Nation president. So keep an eye out for those every Friday night at 7 o'clock on NMPBS from now until Election Day. This Friday, you'll hear from current Navajo Nation president Jonathan Nez and his challenger Boo Nigren. NMIF correspondent Antonia Gonzalez asked them about their vision for the tribe and how they plan to come out from under the COVID-19 pandemic, which has disproportionately affected the Navajo Nation. I definitely recommend watching both of those interviews. But for now, let's get to the headlines impacting New Mexicans. Leaders representing Native American communities from around the state hosted several political candidates Friday. The forum in Albuquerque Friday was held by the All Pueblo Council of Governors. Tribal leaders asked candidates how they would ensure voting access for tribal members, respect sovereignty, and protect water rights as our state and region grapple with historic drought. Mark Mitchell, the chairman of the All Pueblo Council of Governors, says the forum is critical given the disproportionate effect that the coronavirus pandemic had on tribes. Native Americans make up about 12% of New Mexico's population. The New Mexico Supreme Court will take up a legal challenge over a congressional map redrawn this past year. The Republican Party and several other plaintiffs have sued over the new map for the second congressional district in southern New Mexico. Right now, Yvette Harrell serves that district, but she's facing a more competitive race this year against Democrat Gabe Vasquez. The GOP and the rest of the plaintiffs cite public comments from top Democratic legislators as evidence of partisan bias in decisions about the district's boundaries. Shipments of nuclear waste from eastern Idaho to a nuclear waste repository here in New Mexico are back on. An official with the U.S. Department of Energy says the New Mexico Environment Department last week gave the okay for shipments to resume. That's after three prior incidents that originally paused transportation. A drum leaking liquid in April caused a partial evacuation at the Waste Isolation Pilot Plant in Carlsbad, but there was no contamination reported. Then in July, a corrosive substance escaped from the bottom of another drum, and in August, a shipment appeared to have droplets on top. Now this is all tied to a different agreement than the plan that we've talked about recently, connected to the company Holtec. If approved by the federal government, that plan would allow that company to bring in thousands of massive canisters of spent nuclear waste from around the country to be stored here in New Mexico. Stay with New Mexico in focus and our land for updates on that proposal. Early and absentee voting are now underway across New Mexico. Election regulators have started mailing absentee ballots by request to registered voters, and you can now go in person to your county clerk's office. Many counties will also add more early voting locations on October 22nd. Head to nmpbs.org and click on the election banner to find voting resources and to check out all of our coverage ahead of Election Day on November 8th. 
While you're there, you can also ask any procedural questions that you might have about the election. We've partnered with KUNM and America Amplified to make sure that you are armed with all of the information that you need. This project is part of an initiative funded by the Corporation for Public Broadcasting to support community engagement journalism in public media. All you have to do is type your question into the box on our election page, leave your contact info, and we'll get back to you with an answer. With all of the focus on elections coming up, you may have missed some interesting developments in Albuquerque City Council, where councilors are set to vote on a memorial calling for an end to the statewide ban on rent control. This issue has been bubbling up in the city for more than a year now, and today, Monday, during their meeting that starts at 5 o'clock, council will vote on that memorial. It's largely a symbolic gesture to urge the state to reconsider its ban. District 7 councilor Tammy Feeblecorn introduced the memorial, and late last week, Jean caught up with her for a Facebook Live conversation to understand her reasoning and to explain some of the nuance that people might not be aware of when it comes to the rental market in New Mexico's largest city. We're pleased to be joined by... City Councilor Tammy Feeblecorn, she represents District 7, in case you don't know where District 7 is, that's roughly uh, the Mid Heights, Uptown, parts of Northeast Heights, and she was elected in December 2021. We have a memorial coming up about rent control, and we it's not allowed here in New Mexico. We're going to be talking about why uh, some folks feel there were changes to be made. You may have had a knock on your door recently. I've had some folks knock on my door <laughs> pushing rent control. Uh, Council, thank you very much for joining us. Really appreciate your time today. Thanks for having me here, Gene. This is a good conversation. I'm excited to be a part of it. Absolutely. We're very appreciative. Let's talk. I want to talk about memorials, certainly, but we want to talk cover other housing issues here. There's a lot of them coming into focus since you have proposed this. I find this very interesting that since you put this on the table, all this information suddenly is flying around about uh, the, the situation about renting here in Albuquerque. Why, I guess the natural first question is why the memorial? What is it? And what are you expecting to hear on Monday night? Well, why the memorial? I think you just said it. Um, it started the conversation, right? Um, we've been hearing from folks in the community since I took office that there is a housing crisis, but we haven't had a real concerted effort of looking at this issue and finding solutions. Um, and suddenly now we are. Um, so I'm very proud of this memorial. It is just a memorial. It has mm -hmm. no legal standing, but basically if it were to pass on Monday, it would just be sent to the legislators to say, hey, it would be really nice if we didn't have a statewide prohibition on rent control, which includes things like rent stabilization, um, because, Every single community in our in our state is different and the needs are different. And it feels like the kind of thing that local governments should have a right to set for their own constituents, their own residents. Mm -hmm. That's an interesting distinction there. Uh, one of the studies that's out now, and we're gonna post it on our uh, Facebook site in the comments underneath here. Uh, I find it interesting that 40% of Albuquerque residents rent. That I find that an astounding number. And I, and I say that to make your point you just made, that's very much different from other parts of our state, but yet we have this blanket moratorium on all rent stabilization actions, no matter what the community, no matter what the municipality. So again, just to backtrack a little bit, you feel like this is just a more suited to the biggest urban center here in Albuquerque, here in New Mexico, and it just it may not work elsewhere, but it's worth taking a look at here. Yeah, I mean, I think there are quite a few cities in our state that that might want to look at this. I'm not saying what would help or what would not help at this time, but it's worth a conversation, particularly in large cities like Albuquerque, where we do have 
an enormous number of our residents who are renting, mm -hmm. where I get at least one, most often two or three emails or phone calls a week from someone who's on a fixed income, who's literally being priced out of housing. And so it just feels like that's the kind of conversation we should be having. Now, would a rent stabilization be the only answer? And after we did that, it would, it would be solved? No, there is a long-term shortage of affordable housing in Albuquerque. And you know, I'm really glad to see now we're starting to work with the administration and other counselors to look at that long-term um, problem as well. And so I think these two things could go together, maybe a short-term rent stabilization for our most disadvantaged people, mm -hmm. um, tied with some long-term development of affordable housing, um, some regulations around kind of predatory practices around renting. Um, you know, there's a package of things that need to come together to really help people now and in the long run. Mm -hmm. You know, um, let me go back to the memorial, memorial real quick. This is not an unusual thing. The city council does this many times to send a memorial up to the legislature to ask them to consider. Do you have wording uh, ironed out yet, pounded out? Is, is it a, one of those simple one-line memorials or is it a whole uh, ask? Oh. What's the ask, so to speak, that you're going to be yeah. doing? Basically, it, it's got a lot of whereases, which are basically what right. I just told you, which is we're different and every city's different and we should have different rules for each. But it basically says we urge the New Mexico state legislature to repeal NMSEA 1878, which is the rent control prohibition. Period. Mm -hmm. That's mm -hmm. that's the ask. Um, okay. Yeah. What's been the conversation like between you and other counselors? I, you know, uh, I don't think we've had I don't think we've had anybody on the record yet saying they support, but I could be wrong here. What's your sense of where the council's sitting? Yeah, you know, I, I think that there's a lot of misinformation out there and that um, that's what folks are hearing right now. So um, there's this idea that any type of rent stabilization would, would kill the market, right? And, and mm. that's just patently false. Um, I'm an economist. I understand how Yep. how um, the housing market works. And the idea that any type of rent stabilization um, would be detrimental to the housing market and to the developers um, is just wrong. I think there are really unique ways that we could take the best of these programs from all across the country and make something very, very good for New Mexico that could even be like a short-term answer for our most disadvantaged folks, the folks that are literally precariously housed and, and one more increase is going to send them into homelessness. Mm -hmm. um, we could tie that with some incentives for the landlords. I own tax credits, tax um, incentives, and then really start to, to financially incentivize and, and help development for long-term affordable housing development. All those things together would make so much sense. But right now, I feel like there's a lot of folks that have just bought into the, oh, rent stabilization kills the market and therefore we can't support it. Right. Uh, and that's just unfortunate. You know, it's interesting you mentioned that. And I appreciate you mentioning or using the term rent stabilization versus rent control. Um, you know, I've lived in a rent control apartment in Boston years ago, but it was just and in a very different situation than it is today financially for everybody. But it was interesting. It, it worked for some. It didn't work for others. It's just like any other policy in this world. It's not going to be a blanket win for everybody. But it seems to me when you've got uh, rent rising some near 20 percent in a single year, I, I, I just I, I when I talk to this with friends that 
why are you surprised folks are calling for rent stabilization? <laughs> I mean, there's no other there's no other part of life where you have literally no control as the consumer over what you pay as you do for rent. If, do you see what I mean here? This it's a very interesting phenomenon when you, when you when you think about it, how vulnerable people are to this situation. It, it's incredibly heartbreaking. I mean, I, I got another email today, um, someone who's retired on a fixed income, moved into his apartment in 2020, mm-hmm. and has increased over 30% in those two years. The fees that he's being charged have increased over 28.5%. Wow. That's not something that he has any control over, and he can't just go out and make more money. He's retired. And so... You know, he's having to make those choices between do I pay for rent and fees or do I pay for medicine? Do I pay for food? Do I pay my utility bills? And that's just heartbreaking to see. And it's not just a, you know, one or two people. I get these examples from my district every single week. And so it seems to me that um, the least we can do is start thinking about a package of housing options that really addresses both that short-term need mm-hmm. and the long-term need. And in the short term, I think that we need to be thinking about rent stabilization, which is, is maybe just for those that are most precariously housed. We need to start protecting renters from that those predatory practices. I mentioned some fees. There are some outrageous fees going on out there. Um, maybe looking at, at reasonable regulations around short-term rentals so that we actually have more availability for locals. Um, we did an important part of this piece for the short-term already this year when we passed the non-discrimination um, language for the city of Albuquerque that says you can't, as a landlord, say, oh, you're using a housing voucher, you can't rent from me. So all of those things together are the short-term fixes. And then the long-term fixes, of course, are we need more affordable housing. Um, and there's a lot of things we can do around that. And we have a lot of money in the city budget. The city council was was very clear that they wanted to support um, affordable housing, housing vouchers, those types of things in the city budget this year. So let's marry all of those pieces together and come up with a solution that works for Albuquerque. Mm-hmm. What's your number you're working with for the amount of units we need to have in the short term and long term, I guess? So it depends on who you ask. Um, And I think one of the problems that we have is that we don't really have any registry of rental units in the city. We do have a registry for short-term rental units, but we don't have anything for long-term rental. rental. So we don't really know, but somewhere around the 15,000 or more mark um, is what the gap is. And um, that's a pretty ginormous <laughs> gap that we really need to be thinking about um, long term. And there's a lot of money in the city budget to, to start those kinds of affordable housing um, projects. And I really want to make sure that we have as many of them in District 7 as possible. Um, but but yeah, it's, it's a large number um, in the gap. And it will take years to fill that gap in. And in the meantime, what are folks supposed to do? Um, that's why I think at least short term Um, rent stabilization is super important because they have no options right now today and they're being priced out of housing right now. Mm -hmm. What do you say to the folks who take a very market uh, view of this, meaning meaning these things go up and down over time, rents go up, rents go down. My personal opinion is we've crossed a threshold where rents are not going back down at all. (laughs) We should be, and, and to expect such a thing, a market fluctuation where there's a down to it, 
it's not going to happen. Are you in agreement with that? Or are you in agreement with the market folks that says, if we wait this out a little bit, things will settle down? I guess my answer is it doesn't really matter if rates are going to go down when right. you're being priced out of your house right now. And then once you're on the street, Gene, there's, it's really hard to come back, right? So, so what if rent goes down dramatically next year? That doesn't help someone who's now living in the Arroyo. Mm -hmm. And so um, I tend to agree with you. Uh, I, I think that we are seeing permanent changes in the housing market, um, both for for housing purchases and rental um, units, but but it really isn't relevant um, for this conversation because we have folks today who are going to be on the street tomorrow, right. and and that's that's really the situation. That's the crisis that Albuquerque is in. That's the crisis that we have to come up with some kind of answer for. Mm -hmm. I'm going to go back to that study I referenced. What was interesting? A couple of little anecdotes here. I'd like to get your opinion on. Um, I was sort of surprised by the the age of renters here in Albuquerque and the bulk, the huge bulk are folks between 25 and 44. And I think that runs maybe against a perception that this is an older person's problem, so to speak, about renting. I, I mean, these are folks starting out in life, for gosh sake. And if you can't, if you're paying huge percentages of your income, and we know we're no, we don't make a lot of money here, but if you're past that 30% threshold to keep a roof over your home, that keeps folks from taking a step in their lives, either paying for education, opening a business, whatever the case may be. Did that surprise you as well that the age range of most renters here? Yeah, and well, it, it made me sad because I think that um, when we're looking at people that are just starting out on their careers, um, you know, they need to have enough money to put back, not only for all the things you just referenced, but they might want to actually purchase a home at some point. Yep. And it's impossible to save um, for a down payment when you are having these kinds of excessive energy um, rent increases, um, you're having fees that are really out of control, and then you still have to pay for energy, you know, you have to pay your utility bill, you have to pay your transportation costs. It's it's a lot for young people, and it's frustrating because I think we often say, well, why aren't these young people doing this, that, and the other? Well, they can't afford to do anything, right. <laughs> and we, right. we should really think about what what their future holds if we're not able to do something to keep prices down for them, at least in these major categories like housing. Mm -hmm. And let's talk about units. You know, when you when you think about it, I talked to Serge, uh, Professor uh, Serge Martinez over at the UNM uh, Law a couple of weeks ago about this. And, you know, I came up with a thought. I asked him, are we ready to get vertical here in Albuquerque? Do you know what I mean? Are we ready to have a real urban footprint? Because if we're talking 15,000 units plus, you can't make that up in two buildings. You got to you got to do a lot of different things around the city to absorb that kind of a number. Are, you know, and that changes the landscape and the look of the city significantly. Have you guys thought about that as well? I mean, you're talking a huge change of events here to house that many people. Yeah, I mean, it really points to the problem that we have. We need increased density. If we're gonna yeah. if we're gonna house people in the city of Albuquerque, we're gonna have to increase density, and that looks more vertical in some areas of town, period. Um, mm -hmm. You know, I'm excited. There's a couple of, of um, developments that are being planned in, in District 7 that are vertical, and it's pretty exciting to see that happening. Uh, I also think we need to loosen up regulations on things like accessory dwelling units where, you know, you could have additional units for rent, not short-term rent, but, but for rent. 
um, right. in neighborhoods. There's a lot of pieces of this puzzle. Um, I don't think it's going to be, you know, a skyscraper on every block, but there's going to be centers around town where there are vertical units, mm -hmm. and then there's going to be increased density throughout the city. That's just that's just the fact of how it's going to happen. And we need to make sure we're doing that infill because the last thing I want is more sprawl. Um, mm -hmm. As an environmentalist um, and as a low-income advocate, I don't want cheap housing on the edges of town that makes low-income people pay the excessive transportation burden and, and really sets them away from all that's happening in our community. So that infill has to happen. Um, and I, I don't see a way around it, period. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I'm anxious to listen on Monday night if folks, uh, some of your colleagues pick up on the fact that this is actually an opportunity when you really think about it. The density opportunity has not has been uh, hard to grasp, get our arms around. Mm -hmm. This, however, makes more sense because it's going to force us to get real about our transportation system, all kinds of different things that will touch. Yeah. And I think that's kind of interesting. The other part that's interesting to me, too, from the study is renter occupied units by year the structure was built. <laughs> Most of we're, most of us are living in buildings that were built between 1970 and 1990. I mean, they are really, I mean, I live downtown here over by the TV stations, uh, you know, where it is over by the ACLU building. There's a lot of buildings down here that are nearing the end of their life cycle. They're really not, you know, I, I wouldn't see anybody putting a million and a half in any of these buildings to refurbish them, if you get my drift here. Yeah. So are we looking at a, at, a, at a period of churn here when it comes to housing, like a real solid, some buildings go, some buildings go up. We have this 10 year period where it's just every, we wake up 10 years from now, it's just going to look completely different, the city of Albuquerque. Uh, is that is that possibly on the horizon here for us? I think it may be. I mean, I, I think, look, those buildings that you reference are as old as I am. And for yeah. a building that is very old, um, you know, and I think that there are a lot of buildings in the middle of town that aren't that old um, that could be rehabilitated into housing, right? That's mm -hmm. one of the reasons that I was the original sponsor of the motel conversions, um, uh, commercial space conversions in the IDO last year, mm -hmm. because we're gonna see these existing buildings falling into disrepair. We, we're gonna need to revamp them or raise them and start over. But we do have these other structures already in place that we could make into affordable housing. And the timeline on those, I mean, it's not overnight, but it's much shorter than rebuilding an eight-story building. Right. And so we're going to see a lot of these kinds of steps where we're, we're increasing density, we're using buildings that are already here that can be rehabilitated. And then we are going to see a change in the landscape long-term as those buildings built in 1970 just in, you know, in their useful life. And, and that's older. good for renters, right? Because the, mm -hmm. the newer buildings, um, the rehabilitated buildings, the ones that have gone through major renovations are going to be more energy efficient. So operating costs are going to go down. Um, some of these are all in, you know, in fill. So they're going to be near transit. And as we get our transit um, really moving in the city of Albuquerque, we those folks can be able to reduce their energy use there too. So it's really just win-win to have these infill situations where renters um, can afford to be in the middle of the city in buildings that they can afford to operate. That's right. Bless your heart. As an ex-builder, um, it warms me to hear you say that because there are so many people down this way suffering and in buildings that are empty cinder block walls that are empty, uh, pent, the old pentiles. Uh, there's a lot of buildings around town that are pentiles. And we just have air <laughs> for insulation and, and people are paying out the nose. I know you know this, it's just, uh, but most folks might not that, you know, 
it is, it's a rolling problem. If a lot of your income is going into gas, you know, to keep your place warm because it's just not efficient, that's not helping anybody either, as a matter right. of fact. Yeah. Uh, I do have a question. Is there any thought that to perhaps put this to the voter as a referendum as it's happened in other cities across the country? That's a that's an interesting point. I, I haven't even gotten there. I, I really just wanted to have this conversation started with this memorial again, not a legally binding document in any way, shape, or form. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, I, I think that is something that we could think about. Um, if you know, there's a lot of steps between then and now, right? This would have to pass. The state would have to change their law. Um, I don't. I you know, I'm not. Uh, I'm not delusional. I don't know that all of those things are going to work. Um, mm -hmm. But if it did, and we got to that point, I, I think I would be open to that conversation because I, I just think there's need, and and I think the average Albuquerque resident gets that. Um, the the people that are reaching out to me, sharing their stories, um, they're heartbreaking, but they're they're the same. Every single one of them. My rent's gone up 42 percent. My rent's gone up 30. My rent went up. 17% in one year. I paid a $200 fee and I don't even know what it was for. Like mm -hmm. there, are, there are lots of problems and these people are suffering. So yeah, I mean, if it gets to that point where we could, I think that would be a good option. Mm -hmm. We heard uh, during public testimony on the third from, um, I forget the fellow's name, I apologize to him right now, who was the president of the uh, apartment association here in Albuquerque. Um, you know, he made a point about St. Paul versus Minneapolis, which is not quite an apt point, but, you know, his his angle was about permits and making them easier, the process easier. We hear this a lot from builders. I'm an ex-builder. I'm sensitive to it. Is that really the issue here? Well, let me say first that um, the St. Paul um, example uh, is is quite interesting because that is a very restrictive rent control mechanism that they chose. And I don't think anyone in Albuquerque is proposing that, okay. or at least I haven't heard that. I think folks here are saying rent stabilization for um, at least the lowest income folks um, married with some kind of incentive for landlords, right? So that's, that's a very different thing. So I don't think that example works. Yeah. Um, but, you know, overall, I think, um, I, I, I don't know. I, I think that he, um, he like a lot of folks, just think that this is a very bad idea. I think there's a lot of scare tactics out there that, you know, it's dangerous for the economy. It's dangerous for the market. And I just disagree. I think there are creative ways to fix this problem that doesn't have to harm anyone. Now, I do think that we should do things like you know, stop some of these predatory practices. Um, some of these fees are out of control and that might harm um, the, the person that's charging them, but I don't have a problem with that, right? <laughs> that's a predatory practice that I that I don't support. Um, mm -hmm. But I think there's creative ways to come up with an answer that keeps people housed because every single person that becomes unhoused, then it's going to be a very bigger problem for the city of Albuquerque, for the state of New Mexico. So really focusing on keeping people housed, working towards functional zero homelessness is really the, the goal here. And I, I think just saying up front, like, no, I can't deal with that is, is a short-sighted um, knee-jerk reaction that we, that's not helpful to the problem. You know, in some other communities, the, the point's been made by developers that if we have to do this in this one part of town, we're just going to boogie over to some other part of town or, or get across the 
city limits and do it over there, you know, the way we want to. Is there a fear that, you know, I don't know how to put this, folks might look at Las Lunas, Rio Rancho, other places to decide to build if they don't, if, you know, without restrictions about rent stabilization. Is there a fear of that by any chance? So let me just say, you know, I hear that argument every single time we do anything. I've been working on, for example, energy conservation codes in the city of Albuquerque for years. And every time we're going to update our energy conservation codes, the threat is we will just never build anything here again. Clearly, that is not true. Mm -hmm. um, and again, I think the idea that rent stabilization would somehow impact new buildings is a pretty large assumption that I'm not ready to go to yet. Um, I'm, I'm looking more at how to stabilize the rent of people who are in existing buildings who are on the edge of homelessness. Mm -hmm. um, and so, you know, I would like to see more incentivization, more, um, more lack and um, more change in the integrated development order to allow those kinds of new pro projects to happen. Um, I don't see any dampening of that market for new affordable housing. Um, Is there a possibility, Councillor, that um, the government gets involved, and I don't mean like in the 50s with projects back east, we remember Chicago, you know, the huge buildings all clustered together with, you know, thousands and thousands of people living on a very small footprint. That's not what I mean by vertical here and, and that kind of thing. But I, I guess the question is, how, how does one envision how this works? Is it a cluster of buildings? Is that the best way to go? When we talk about density, again, I'm looking at opportunity here. It's, I'm just curious in your own mind what that vision looks like, say in your own district that you can speak credibly to. Is there a certain part of your district that you can see that's open to these kind of projects at this point right now? Yeah, I think that there are, um, I, I'll speak for District 7 because I know District 7 most. I think there are opportunities to increase density across the district. Mm -hmm. But then there are places like the Manal Metropolitan Redevelopment Area that we are doing work on now to revitalize and, and really breathe some life into that area. That's a perfect area for mm -hmm. development of multifamily, low-income, affordable housing kinds of projects. Um, the Uptown area. You know, that's where people on low incomes, that's where they work. And so why would we not be developing multifamily structures there that allow them to live, work and play in the same place? Mm -hmm. um, and so I see, you know, throughout District 7, I would love to see multifamily, um, maybe maybe mixed use kinds of, of developments in quite a few areas and then increased density in, in almost all of it. Um, that's what we're going to have to do to, to get to the end of this problem of not having enough housing. Because, you know, that 15,000 that we talked about is the, is the gap for affordable housing. Mm -hmm. Doesn't really talk about any gap for anyone else. And there's a lot of folks that are on the edge. You know, they might not be in affordable housing, but they certainly aren't able to purchase million dollar homes. And so we need to be thinking about the supply of housing in general. And that's gonna take a lot of different answers coming together to give those folks options. You know, for the, I can imagine for some folks, the idea of holding off building, you know, that threat you mentioned a second ago. However, if it came to pass that the gap was not being filled in an appreciable time frame, could you see a scenario where government ends up building the buildings themselves? You mentioned we've got a lot of money in the state and the city right now. 
Is it, would it be appropriate in your view for government to just flat out build what we need and forget the free markets uh, intentions yeah. here? So I'm not against that, but I think that the more likely scenario is working with developers to mm -hmm. develop these kinds of projects. The perfect example is the hotel and commercial space conversion that we just passed in the IDO. That will be done by independent developers, but it's a requirement that they partner with the city um, to provide social services for folks that are living in those new units. And so I think that kind of partnership um, goes a long way. That way the city's not having to, you know, have staff to run these places. Developers still get to do the development and 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 make the money on it, which is what we want developers to do. Um, but there's a there's a partnership there that really protects the interests of um, our most disadvantaged neighbors. Mm -hmm. I should know the answer to this, but I don't. I'm looking, I'm thinking back to the spring where there was a proposal a proposed ordinance rather that would allow supplemental income to be used for rent. And there were a number of counselors who were supportive of that idea. What, what happened to that idea? So that passed. Um, okay. It is now, and I'm going to, I'm not going to remember the number off the top of my head. I apologize, but it did pass and it is now illegal for landlords to not accept supplemental income, including housing vouchers. Okay. And so that is a huge step because before, you know, we had folks, literally they have a housing voucher in their hand and they can't find anyone to rent to them. And so as that becomes um, an effective law, I think it just went into effect um, recently, um, we're going to see more people being able to use these housing vouchers. Now, city council gave out uh, a, a record amount of money in the budget for housing vouchers. Um, so I'm really excited to see how those can actually be used in the following year uh, because it was very, very um upsetting to hear time and time again, I have a voucher, I just can't find a place. Mm -hmm. um, so that to me is one of those first really important things we can do short term to help people stay housed. Uh, just a couple more questions. I appreciate the time you're taking with us today. We're talking with District 7 City Councilor Tamil, Tammy Feeblecorn on the upcoming vote on the memorial she is proposing next Monday the 17th. Uh, be sure to stream that from home if you're if you're interested. It's going to be a very interesting public debate. I'm I'm very much looking forward to this, um, Councillor. I'm, I'm curious what you, we have uh, on the record, Councillor Sanchez, Luis Sanchez. He's talked about the pressure he's getting. Are you hearing? Doesn't matter where the city council or where the district is. Is everyone hearing these complaints right now about rising rents? I, I can't speak for every single counselor, but my my answer is yes. I yeah. you know the the counselors that I've spoken to on this topic, we're all getting those emails. We're all getting those phone calls, um, asking for help. And and there's just literally a limit to what we can offer people right now. Mm -hmm. um, and it's not just in one area. You know, it's not just this one neighborhood in District Seven. It's it's all over the city. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. My last question for folks who are struggling to pay rent right now, um, could you give us just a brief rundown as you know it of what help is out there for folks and, and how they should reach out? So Family and Community Services has a couple of, of um, options for folks that are really you know, in peril. I would encourage them to reach out to Family and Community Services with the city mm -hmm. of Albuquerque um, or reach out to my office. We'd be happy to set them in contact with the right folks, um, depending on, on what their specific situation is, there are additional resources for, say, seniors, 
Um, as you probably know, there's a lot of, of um, federal money right now available for rental assistance and utility assistance from the pandemic, and some of that has not been spent. So if you're in that situation right now, I don't have a you know fix to the entire problem, but please reach out to the city. Um, we can at least try to get you in, in contact with the right services to hopefully, you know, bridge that gap and, and keep you housed for um, long enough that we can come up with some long-term solutions. Mm -hmm. In fairness, I mentioned um, his name is Alan Levesque. I apologize to Alan. He is the executive director of the Apartment Association of New Mexico. Sorry for forgetting your name a little bit earlier. And in fairness, I want to read the quote from him. Uh, quote, we need housing. The solution to the higher cost of housing is not price controls. The answer is to increase the supply of housing, said Mr. Lebec. Lasek, sorry, streamline the permitting process, make it easier to build and encourage investment in New Mexico, end quote. Alan Lasek, L-A capital S-E-C-K there. You know what's interesting there? It sounds like you guys are on the same page <laughs> when I read that quote. I really think we are. And I'm looking forward to meeting with um, Mr. Lebec. So, um, yeah. I, you know, I think that I also agree we need more housing. Um, I don't necessarily agree that um, streamlining permitting is going to be the one answer to this problem, which is what I'm hearing from a lot of folks. Um, but I am very interested in jumpstarting all kinds of affordable housing development. And that includes things like, you know, changing our zoning um, allowances to allow for that. So I think that we, you know, I don't want to speak for him, but I think in general, the the opposition to this memorial um, have made the points that I'm making as well. Um, mm -hmm. So we have a lot of overlap. There's there's a lot of agreement. The one thing that we know now that we didn't know two, two weeks ago when I introduced this is everyone in Albuquerque seems to agree that we have a crisis and we have to do something about that crisis. And so you know, if this memorial doesn't pass, um, or if it does, doesn't matter, let's then all come together and think of other things that can really address that crisis. And I, I feel like with complete unanimous support that there is a crisis and that something must be done, we're in a good spot to move forward. Councilor, thank you very much for your time today. This is really enlightening. I think I would encourage, again, folks, if you can't attend personally Monday night to please do stream it. It's very easy. They, the city makes it very easy. City council makes it very easy. So there's no excuses not to watch. And we'll be watching for sure. Councilor Tammy Feeblecorn, District 7 City Council, thank you very much for your time today. Really appreciate it. Thanks for having me here. I enjoyed the conversation. Thank you, Councilor Feeblecorn, for that conversation. The week prior, Gene talked with another person who's been a housing advocate in the city for years. Serge Martinez is Associate Dean of Experiential Learning at the University of New Mexico, and he's also a professor in the School of Law. In this discussion, you'll hear some of the pros and cons to rent stabilization. Keep in mind, this interview was recorded on October 7th, so City Council's latest action will not be taken into account. We're going to be taking on this issue over the next few weeks and months because what's interesting about this is you may have heard uh, City Councilor Tammy Feeblecorn has introduced a memorial in city council to have Albuquerque get itself removed from the prohibition on rent control, what's known as rent control here in New Mexico. We are one of many states that prohibit this. So we'll talk about this with Serge and others over the next coming weeks, including people from the associations who are opposed to rent control. We wanna hear from those folks too, but we'll we'll handle that down the road here today. Serge, thank you very much for joining us. Really appreciate it. That's good you know, it's, it's, it's interesting when you read about, I'm gonna use finger quotes here, rent control. Uh, 
this argument has been going back, going on since the turn of the previous century. Uh, when you read history, it's an amazing thing. World War II, it came back up around the 70s, of course, as you and I and others our age might recall. I lived it in another city. I had a rent control apartment myself, so I know what that's like to be on the tenant side. Um, and also what it means from the landlord side, uh, tell you the honest truth, I had a lot of conversations about it back in the day. But for the folks who have zero idea what this is all about, let's talk about rent control. What's, what is rent control in your view? Not necessarily what with, with, uh, representative, I'm sorry, what city council of people is getting at here, but to your view, what is rent control? Yeah, that's a, that's, that's a great question, important place to start, right? Rent control, I think means different things to different people from and at different times, right? I lived in a, you said you lived in a rent control building. I lived in one in New York that was not rent control, it was rent stabilized. And that was a huge distinction in New York City. Um, but uh, when people say rent control these days, I mean, in the olden days, right, people, rent control was more about putting an actual cap on the rent that you could, that, that could be charged. For the last half century, rent control has really meant uh, restrictions or limitations on how much rent could increase. Uh, year on year and between tenancies or whatnot. Mm -hmm. So it basically says the way we're talking about it now is to say when, you know, when a lease comes up for renewal, you can only increase the rent by X amount. That is, you know, there's lots of different ways that it's that it's um, regulated or controlled, um, but it's independent from or at least divorced from market forces and, uh, and is limits the increase like I said, you know, during the tenancy and often between tenants, when you get a new tenant, whoa, when you get a new tenant uh, coming in, right, how much can you raise the rent from the, the prior tenancy? So, you know, these are, when people say rent control, they could mean any of many different things, but primarily it just means let's slow down how quickly rents can raise, or at least keep an eye on and keep a and limit how quickly rents can can raise, right? It doesn't require them to be raised at all, depending on the market. Good point there. Uh, as just catch the folks up on some things I'm gonna to read to you. Uh, as of 2022, by the way, six states, including California, New York, New Jersey, Maryland, Oregon, and Minnesota, and the District of Columbia, have localities which some form of residential rent control is in effect. Um, there's a lot of different uh, varieties of how to do it. You know, rent stabilization, rent control is a very different things. Certainly, Oregon, you know, has had, you know, uh, gets pointed to a lot in California, certainly. I, I don't want to jump too far ahead, but a lot of folks have a real issue with this because they say it upsets the market and creates a lot of artificiality, if that's a word, <laughs> in the marketplace. Mm -hmm. uh, what, what's your, your, your response to that? No, absolutely. That's the whole point of rent control mm -hmm. is to distort the market because the market is, it's a response to a market failure in the sense that the, when rents rise too quickly or, you know, very quickly, more quickly than folks can afford, than, than wages and, and income can keep up with, it causes displacement. And the whole point of rent control is to help folks stay where they are, to have, you know, to ha not have communities be um, you know, atomized and have people coming in and out, but also individuals and families to allow them to stay where they are, create a stable, um, you know, community and living situation, their lives around, you know, their kids are in a particular school, you have neighbors and friends and businesses that you are connected to and rent control. Yeah, absolutely. The whole point is 
to distort the market. And mm -hmm. that's that's a feature, not a bug of rent control. I mean, right. The, is there something is there something particular to Albuquerque that makes this uh, more workable than other cities we've seen around the country lately? Meaning, I think for a lot of folks don't realize about 40% of the people that live here rent. Mm -hmm. They live in a rental unit. I mean, it's a huge amount of, of folks that live, you know, are we sort of set up for this in an interesting way? Well, I mean, I think, I think, yes, right? Because we are, our rents are increasing so quickly here and displacing lots of people. It's right. not entirely clear, you know, why or uh, what makes it special, but it's easy to overlook how many people here are renters because as you drive around town, you don't see huge apartment blocks or some of you know, the hallmarks of these giant rental communities that we see in, you know, in big, big cities. But mm -hmm. yeah, this is, this is a place where so many people are renters, so many, and their voices are not heard that much. So it's a surprise to people. But what we're hearing now is this is a group that is being pushed out, that they're not able to afford their rent. And so we are, I mean, this is a perfect time to, to do everything possible to try to to stabilize folks and rent control is one one tool among many possible ways to or that need to be done to to create a, a better housing situation here but yeah this is this is the time and this is the place um mm -hmm. and uh, that's why you know uh, people are talking about it right now is there um again a reason i bring up the 40 percent in albuquerque that is not that far out of line with other cities that you see that have implement implemented some sort of you know, rent freeze or rent control, whatever the term is we want to use here. Um, the impact of moving folks from rental units to owning homes, does rent control traditionally or or in your view have a, any kind of problem there? You know, for folks that may not necessarily be able to climb the ladder, mm -hmm. if they're living in a rent controlled unit, I, I just, I, I'm trying to balance in my own mind, which, which, is, which is better. Uh, do you see what I'm driving at here? How do we move folks up and out, so to speak, if if if, if rent control has a, sort of a factor in that? Well, first of all, I'm not, you know, gonna, I'm not a home ownership first kind of guy. I think gotcha. housing first, housing stability. And I think it's a it's a problem, right, that we've treated home ownership as the let it become the end-all be-all and this the this sort of wealth and a speculative thing rather than a place to live, right? Um, but you know. Rent control does a, has a few different impacts on, on the market in terms of rental, right? There is, you hear critiques about it causes people to stay in rentals much longer than they would do. Um, there's also some evidence that there are folks who don't want to get into the rental market because it's too unstable and too unpredictable, right? So, you know, who can, you know, there's tons and tons, so much theory around rent control, but actually very little actual empirical research on the the effects. Mm -hmm. And so it's hard to say exactly what would or wouldn't happen with rent control. Um, other than there are some very clear effects that folks have seen, but uh, around stability and helping folks who are currently renting not be displaced by rising rents, right? which is the whole point of rent control. But the, you know, the the overall impact on the the market, housing stock, and whatnot, it's highly theorized, but not very well studied, as it turns out. Mm -hmm. Is it your view that cities should be able to decide on their own if rent control and rent stabilizations are are uh, the best way to go? I mean, these statewide bans seem to be problematic when I read about it. That's mm -hmm. mayors are saying, you know what, I want to have my own 
yeah. and city councils are in control of this. Is that the goal here? Yeah, I mean, that's the, the first step. And I think yeah. it's, I mean, you raise a good point. And if you'll allow me to um, digress briefly into professor mm -hmm. mode, uh, you know, what the, the, the memorial by Councilor Peoplecorn doesn't say, let's introduce rent control here. It says, there's this law called 8A that purports to say that no municipality, like only the state of New Mexico can implement rent control. And that bill was passed in 1991 when there was, rent control was not a topic of discussion here in New Mexico. There's it's hard to say exactly where it came from. There was a nationwide push for some of these things, for similar statutes, um, working with a group called um, ALEC, the American Legislative Exchange Council. And um, our statute resembles an ALEC statute, but the, the history is so old and poorly documented that um, I, and I will say also my much better researcher, um, the librarian staff, li the library staff here at UNM haven't been able to dig up any real um, legislative history of about why this was put into place. And so um, we're left to guess why five senators from across the, you know, the state of New Mexico and the political spectrum thought this was an important enough issue in 1991 to, um, to, to bring it in. But what it says, basically, like I said, is even home rule municipalities aren't allowed to do rent control. It's what it purports to do, right? I'm not convinced, and I've sort of made this argument from in certain places, that, you know, the point of a law can only be effective to, to uh, bind home rule municipalities, like Albuquerque, if it is a matter of statewide concern and not purely local, right? It's hard to think of something more purely local to me than housing prices and, and rents, right, of a building that is absolutely never going to wander across city lines. But uh, what it does, like I, you know, what it purports to do, and certainly the lack of clarity has caused some inaction on this, is say, you can't do this. There's this tool that you would be, might be able to use, you might want to use to fight housing instability and rising rents, but we're saying as a state, you can't do it. We're putting our thumb on that scale and telling Albuquerque and all the other home rule municipalities, sorry, you don't have the ability we don't want you to be able to 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 use this, right? Which is, I mean, that's an affront to home rule. It's uh, and and that's what this this uh, memorial says. You know, as of right now, a lot of people think we can't even talk about it. It's not even an option. And we're saying to the, she's saying to the state, you know, stop this. Make clarify that we can do this if we want to, and then we'll have the discussion internally about whether it's a good idea. But right now, you know, the state is you know, hamstringing municipalities like Albuquerque that are facing these crises and don't have the ability, or at least aren't convinced that they have the ability to control their own destiny on this. Mm -hmm. You know, we'll be talking with some of the folks in the movement uh, that want to have this happen, the People's Housing Project and others. And one of the things I want to ask them, and I'll ask you uh, here, is a lot of these initiatives are ballot initiatives in uh, these other cities to either have rent control or not. In your view, is that the, would that be the most the next natural step here? Let's say if that's successful, the memorial, the state allows the city to kind of just push forward on this. Would you be comfortable having it as a ballot initiative and as a as a point of interest going forward? I think that's a that's a really interesting question, and I think what would 
you know, in a place like Albuquerque, where so many people are renters, right, it'd be a great opportunity to have their voices heard on this particular issue, right? I mean, right. obviously, there'd be lots of competing ideas and and misinformation and uh, and pressure and, you know, lots of ads and whatnot around this, because some people have huge economic interest in this, and most people have relatively, you know, small relative to that, but it's super personal um, for folks who are renting. Uh, it'd be a really interesting approach. And I know that's what's been done in other places. Um, and, you know, one of the reasons I think we we have had it be, had the, the rental market be so, you know, under understood and under listened to is that relative to, you know, New York City, many of the renters are, you know, rich people, fancy people. It's not just for people who can't afford a home, right? Whereas here, it's people who are sort of more marginalized politically. So a ballot initiative might be an opportunity to to hear those voices, right? I mean, the city council is also responsive to to its constituents, and uh, you know you've been hearing more and more about renters, uh, rental protections, and renters' rights uh, there, and even at the state level. So this is, I mean, it's a sea change these days that, that folks are actually starting to listen to renters, but um, it's certainly not the case of renters have all the power that they do in some of the larger cities. That's a good point there. Uh, I know from my own personal experience and yours, you just mentioned back east, you also get a lot of uh, seniors living alone right. uh, in those cities uh, who, where rent control was absolutely, you know, it was everything for them. Do, do you mm -hmm. know what I mean? Um, the stability yeah. of that just meant so much to finish out their years. That's an interesting angle to this, I think, might come up as well. You know, interestingly, let me ask you this, uh, Serge, there is a lot of what I'm going to read to you here the wording that's out there, which is what the anti or people that want to peel this back are up against. Quote, there is a consensus among economists that rent control reduces the quality and quantity of rental housing units, end quote. That's from a wiki page. <laughs> and it kind of jumped out at me like, who wrote that, that there's a consensus about this? But you see people like Paul Krugman, I mean, others in the past, who've been anti-rent control, uh, some fairly high-level, high, well-known economists who have come out against this. You know, you see where I'm going here? There's a real, it's going to be a real wall to climb here. Mm -hmm. uh, if this is sort of an accepted view that people think all economists are sort of against this thing, how do, how does, how do folks who want to have rent control reduced or eliminated get, get around that? that? That's an awfully tough wall there. Sure. I mean, I, and... Look, I'm not going to argue that rent control is by itself a magic bullet, right? A silver right. bullet. It is. It is one piece of a larger strategy. It's you know, it's like, you know, you can't play a sonata on a piano with one key, right? It can sound the most beautiful, be the most beautiful note you've ever heard, but you can't do what you need to do mm -hmm. uh, without lots of pieces. And rent control is just part of that. But I will say, like, as I said before. So much of this is theory, right? Rent control has been theorized to death. There are some studies uh, out there that sort of show what actually happens, not a ton, right? I'm aware of one out of Brigham Young University where an economist who studied Massachusetts and found that it had literally or virtually no impact on you know, new housing. Um, there, uh, I mean, there may be some arguments for, for, for evidence around like how quality of housing is affected by by rent control and whatnot. Mm -hmm. um, and yeah, I'm not insensitive or unfamiliar with the economic arguments. I think they like as they sort of missed the boat, missed the point. Rent control is not 
designed to increase housing quality or quantity. Its, it's point is to help people stay in place. And at the same time, other efforts have to be undertaken to, to incentivize building more housing, to create more, right? Whether that's private or public incentives <clears throat> to do so. Uh, to focus on housing quality, the quality of the housing stock is something that's important and make resources available to do that, right? On its own, rent control is like any other policy. It, you know, it's designed to do one thing. And if that's all you focus on, then yeah, it's not going to be great. It's not going to work. It's not going to do what we want it to do. And, uh, you know, so I think those arguments, they, they assume that we're just, all we're doing is rent control and then nothing else. And that's not, no one would, no one would ever approach it that way. But uh, if, that were the case, then yeah, you're shooting yourself in the foot for no reason, rather than using rent control to slow things down, keep people in place, and then hustle to make it so that, you know, there is more affordable housing and more options and more ability for mm -hmm. people that will also reduce the rents. On the 3rd, October 3rd, the night of for the city council meeting, uh, where Ms. Fiebelkorn introduced the memorial, we heard from the executive director of the Apartment Association of New Mexico, who said rent control could negatively affect the housing market. Let me, let me quote here from the KUNM site, quote, we need housing. The solution to the higher cost of housing is not price controls. The answer is to increase the supply of housing, end quote. And he uh, goes into uh, streamlining the process, permitting process. We get, everybody gets all that. But that basic premise of needing more housing, you've been ringing that bell for years. I mean, it's yeah. not exactly a new theorem. Why hasn't the free market built more housing to, to accommodate this, there seems to be a, uh, something not quite connected here. Right, yeah, so I, I strongly agree with, with that assessment, right? Price control does not create new housing, right? Agreed, and we have to figure out how we do it. And, you know, the, the free market has failed on this because there's not money in affordable housing. There's, right. you, know, as, you know, there's people aren't building starter homes anymore because you can make more money with a, building a $400,000 house because there is, you know, there's there's less, in, there's no incentive in many cases to build housing that is gonna be affordable to people um, be, if all we care about is maximizing profits and making sure that the people who build it are able to extract every possible dime mm -hmm. from, from the process. So I, I don't disagree that, um, we could probably do better at incentivizing, we absolutely could do better at incentivizing more housing, but the private market has just, this is an utter failure of, you know, of the market economy when it comes to housing. And that's calamitous when it's, you know, we're talking about a consumer good of some sort, but when we're talking about a fundamental need like housing, it is just a disaster. And it's been such a slow moving disaster. And as you say, I've been, it's not just me, lots of folks have been talking about this for years and years, and we've been watching it happen in slow motion in real time. Um, but that doesn't mean that there's not, you know, uh, that we shouldn't try to do something. And I think every tool at our disposal, streamline permitting, sure, make it, you know, you know, land use in such a way that people can build more housing easily, but also it has to be, you know, the, the city, has to devote resources to creating more housing, to helping folks who are in housing now but having trouble affording it stay there, whether that's through rent control or rental assistance or some combination of both, right? 
a real commitment to this and say, this is an all hands on deck emergency now. And it didn't need to be, we let it become one, but this is where we are. And the market led us here. The market is not going to save us. There is, you know, it is a mistake to keep relying on the thing that has failed us again and again. Mm -hmm. You know, on the, the same city council meeting on the third, I was interested in Councillor Sanchez, Luis Sanchez said the public's concern on rental prices are being heard and an interesting quote here uh, from him, the city of Albuquerque, the state, we're flush with cash right now <laughs> and we need to get these projects moving forward. He makes an excellent point there because there's a school of thought out there that if not rent control, in perhaps subsidies might be the better way to mm -hmm. go for either landlords or tenants, tax abatements, some other way to chop at this. I'm interested in your opinion on that versus rent control. Yeah, I mean, I'm... I will say I'm indifferent as to you know this in terms of what is the result in terms of housing stability, right? Rent control keeps more, you know, puts money in the pockets of the people who are living in the in, in these places and allows them to spend less of their money, um, you know, on on rent. Um, I guess a subsidy might do the same thing, have the same effect, and it puts money in the pockets of landlords, right? Which right. I can imagine there being a huge. Uh, uh, re rejoicing uh, for to landlords who say we should do that, right? But you know, it then just continues this idea that oh, the solution is the market, the market, the market, and rents. You know, there's no disincentive to keep rents low if you're just getting paid. You know, if, if it's just a pure pass-through um, setup, and doesn't really address the underlying problem of creating more and more housing, right? In fact, you might have an incentive to keep it less affordable so you can just capture that excess rent um, in a subsidy program. I mean, I also think rent control, I mean, it, to be candid, it's a lot easier to, to set up a rent control program than maybe it is a, a subsidy program that kicks in depending on how fast rents are, are increasing. But both of them are challenging. The devil's going to be in the details no matter what. And I would not yeah, I would not be angry about a commitment from the state or the city to say, we're going to help subsidize folks' rent, give them rental assistance to keep them from being displaced. Because again, the goal for me is not controlling the rent per se, it's keeping people from being displaced. So whatever tool we need to do that, mm -hmm. you know, I'm not going to quibble with terminology or mm -hmm. end result. Makes sense. You know, on that October 3rd meeting as well, the very beginning of it, there was a, a brilliant presentation about the lack of housing statewide that we are suffering with in the sheer thousands of homes that need to be built here to house people. I mean, you can drive up and down the Rio Grande corridor. It doesn't take an architectural genius to see. We have, there's a lot of homes out there that are on the last legs of their life cycle. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it, we need to make a major flip here when it comes to, to housing all over the state. Now, folks like yourself and others who are in this uh, fight, what, what's your best sense about how we attack this? I mean, we're talking about a lot of units need to be built here statewide, mm -hmm. probably way more than people even realize because mm -hmm. we didn't build over the past decade. We just yeah. let it really sort of lay fallow. Yeah. How do we get there with the amount of, with the huge amount of need that we have? Yeah, I mean, first I think, acknowledge this is a huge need. This is a huge project. This is a major challenge. Um, but then, you know, I don't want to be too trite about this, but acknowledge this is so important that we have no choice but to throw everything we can at this, right? right? And to understand that this is at the state level, at the city level, at the county level, at the, you know, individual um, neighborhood level, 
to to really focus on how do we you know create more housing how do we help people stay where they are how do we um you know increase the the quality of the stock that we have and that is you know there is i you know feel like i'm being boring by being a broken record there's no single way to do that that includes making you know attracting private development that includes public housing that includes social housing that includes thinking of you know rental assistance maybe or you know rent control of some sort that includes um you know thinking about all of the different way tools that we have at our disposal and putting them all into action and saying this is and there's not going to be a day where we say oh in five years we down tools right that this is possibly a forever thing as we keep attracting new people to New Mexico, as just more and more people are living here, you know, naturally. But to say housing is no longer something that, like, a, to decommodify it, right? To say this is not something that is going to be figured out by the private market. We can't keep saying, oh, this is these are investments or whatever. Say we care about people having a place to live, and that is the thing. So when my, you know, when my neighbors and I say too many buildings in our neighborhood will bring down the property values. Well, you know what, that's that's missing the point. We have other people in our community who don't even have a place to live or who aren't able to afford where they live. We all need to accept that that is, you know, that rising property values is not the end all be all uh, of human existence. And, um, and also understand that, okay, if that's the case, right? Have, Gene, I'm sorry, I'm, I'm going to stop in, two, in a minute here. But like this idea, like, you know, Social Security is housing policy. Healthcare is a housing policy. If I am saying I, I have to make sure that my home value stays high. So when I stop working and have to pay for my own health care, I have to get that out of my house. Well, obviously, then I'm going to be very concerned about that, the value of my property. If there's a social safety net that says, Serge, you don't have to worry about that. Right, you'll be taken care of. You'll be able to do that. Then there's less concern about my individual property as the primary source of wealth for me and my family forever and ever. Mm -hmm. So I think you know these things are connected in ways that are hard to that are not immediately obvious, and um, I'm certainly not getting at all of them either. But what is required is not the most clever single program that anyone ever thought of. There's no such thing and it's never going to fix it all. What is required is really a communal effort and a recognition that housing is important to all of us. It's important to all of us that everyone have stable housing and we all benefit from it and we need to act like it. Mm -hmm. You know, sometimes I wonder, Serge, if uh, density might not be a bad result of all this, if you think about it. You know, back east, of course, in Chicago, you know, LA, you know, places around the country. Once this starts happening, cities start to go vertical, mm -hmm. you know, taller than five or six stories. They right. start getting taller and taller, more people in a smaller footprint. We only have so many lots or areas in Albuquerque we could build uh, density housing. Are we ready to get vertical here and be like other cities? I sure am, right? I was, this morning, I was watching, you know, went down to, um, to explore it, to watch the balloons from their deck there and thinking, oh, wouldn't it be nice to be in a building where I was a 10 story building where I could stand on the roof and watch this. I mean, I think density is the, it's what's coming. It should be what's coming. It should be what we're going for, right? We look at the desert and think, oh, we have millions of square miles to expand into, but that ignores the, the infrastructure needs and the transportation needs and the benefits, like the energy reduction that comes from density, as well as 
the ability to you know create more housing in in the same amount of space. Mm-hmm. And I think, you know, I don't not confident that everyone is like me. I love density. I think it's great. Every place I've ever lived that's dense with density has been just fantastic to live in for the most part, right? Aside from my upstairs neighbors dropping things randomly in the middle of the night on the floor. But, you know, that's the price we pay uh, for that sort of community. But uh, it's not a New Mexico thing, I think, to have that density. It would require a little bit of a, a change in mindset. But it has to happen. It should happen. Um, if There's gonna... a lot of policy issues there in, inherent in this idea, though, aren't there? Like you mentioned earlier, land use, yeah. uh, different coding, different codes. I mean, you have to really scrub this thing top to bottom, mm-hmm. it would seem to me, to really make this happen. Yeah. I, I, absolutely. I think it would require, a, you know, like a, coming at it with a fresh eye. But yeah. you know, as I, I go down, drive down San Mateo or Central and see all these commercial buildings that one story commercial buildings with nothing on top. And I'm like, wouldn't it be amazing to put, you know, four stories of apartments on top of each of these and, and create a built-in customer base for a lot of these things, but also create some more density and, you know, along major transportation corridors. So people don't have to drive as much or use, right. We're trying to be, uh, you know, reduce our energy consumption here in New Mexico globally, one, one, one hopes, right? But you know, the, one of the ways to do that is to reduce the need to drive all over the place all the time. And, you know, and density addresses that. Uh, I think it addresses a lot of the concerns that we have, primary for me, for us today, right, of housing stock and the, the you know, the number of units that we have available. But again, these are that requires a mindset, requires some vision. It also requires years and years and years to 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 bear fruit. Meanwhile, what are we going to do, right? We don't. We can't say, well, we've got all these renters who are being displaced, but too bad. But one in five years, we're going to be. Or that's a dream, right? In ten years, we'll be all set. Meanwhile, what do we do? And I think some sort of intervention now is is required, or to avoid sort of a complete fragmentation of you know, the community that we have here in Albuquerque. Yeah. On this idea of going vertical, I think a lot of us uh, of a certain gener- of a certain age <laughs> can remember a lot of the pushback in major cities, Chicago, I'll just point out, where the, in the late 50s, of course, there were the building of what's known as projects to yeah. those back east, multi, I mean, huge tall buildings all clustered together, thousands of people. Well, there were problems there because 20 years later, of course, in the 70s, there were difficulties, of course, and you have that much low income density, you have a lot of crime and a lot of different, you know, problems. Is, is that, is that, it's easy to demagogue the idea of going vertical. Would you anticipate a, a political fight on that if, if that ever came to the to the fore? Yeah, I mean, there is a lot of misunderstanding, miscon- misconception about that, right? Um, and I think, yeah, some people equate high rise buildings with big city danger, crime, whatnot, right? What they're missing is the underlying story that those were intentionally built, intended to be unpleasant places because there was this idea that we don't want anyone to actually want to live there, that they were, you know, they were segregated off from white neighborhoods because they didn't want them there. And even by highways, right? You, right. Highways will cut through and create these conditions of isolation and poverty. Um, and so I think there is a lot of misconception, but we have a lot of public housing here in Albuquerque that folks don't know about, which is I mean, not always a good thing, but it's telling that people don't notice that mm-hmm. we have that, right? And we have multifamily housing that people are not, that's not causing the, 
the issues and and the side of all the crime and whatnot that folks are discussing. So I think we have some experience with it, but you're not wrong that there's a, you know, people equate big city, big place density with crime, mm -hmm. crime, crime. And yeah. that is, that would have to be dispelled. That would have to be, be worked with. And, you know, people who have experience living in those places who have come here um, might add to that conversation or they might say, oh yeah, I came here to get away from that, I guess. Mm -hmm. so have to factor that in. But yeah, you're, it, it's a great point, Gene, that there's a sort of this cultural um, sort of shy, shying away from that that would have to be dealt with and addressed. Um, mm -hmm. Another one that you hear a lot from other cities, but I'm curious how it would work here, is that if you do rent control in one area, folks will scurry to another because that's where the building's going to be. And there's, you know, one of the folks at the October 3rd City Council meeting mentioned, I, in my personal opinion, somewhat disingenuously, St. Paul, Minnesota, and what happened there yeah. made it sound like one side of the river voted for rent control and the other side didn't, which is why all the building went to the other side. Well, both sides of the river actually voted for it <laughs> by ballot initiative. So it's just a little disingenuous there. What I'm leading up to is say Albuquerque did this. Mm -hmm. I, I can't imagine a scenario, or maybe there is, where people that build apartment buildings suddenly decide to go to Las Lunas, Rio Rancho, you know, outside of the city to, to handle these kind of things. Is that, a, is that even a possibility given our transportation, all the things you mentioned earlier? Yeah, I mean, when you say that, my response is, well, I wish you the best, right? In getting people to move en masse to, uh, to Los Lunas who, who, who are currently living in Albuquerque. Right. I, I mean, I think a lot of this is, it's speculation and a little bit uh, red herring and fear mongering to say, you know, rent control immediately stops all development. Mm -hmm. It doesn't, as far as we can tell, right? I think I... Mm -hmm. As I said before, the you know the one paper I'm aware of looked at Massachusetts and found that it had virtually no effect on that. But also, rent control is not this monolithic single thing, right? San Francisco, when it passed rent control, specifically exempted new construction as a way to try to incentivize folks to to continue uh, to build in the in the city, right? I'm yeah. I'm not deep enough in the the policy to say exactly you know what the how that worked or didn't, but the idea was they spotted that coming and were able to, to deal with it because they had the flexibility to try to craft their own solutions to these problems. Mm -hmm. um, so I think the, you know, there's a lot of alarmism and, and you know, parade of horribles that will come with this if you talk to anybody who's opposed to it. Uh, but the reality is we just don't know. But you know, as I said, right, I would be shocked if someone built a, you know, a ton of new housing in, outside of Albuquerque and many, many Burkanios said, oh, you know what, let's go do that. People are here because they want to be here because they have to be here for work or they have family that can support them uh, or, or whatever reason they have. And so that's not going to change, you know, overnight just because if there's rent control uh, implemented. Mm -hmm. We're talking about Gina's. He's all, a professor, but also the associate dean at the School of Law. Here at the University of New Mexico. Serge, I can't thank you enough for this. This has really been an interesting conversation. We're going to have a lot more. We may have you back to talk about this yeah, because, again, your bailiwick is housing writ large. It's not about rent control. You you want housing and you want it now. Is there is there a final word you want folks to know about uh, how, you know, how urgent the need is for housing here? What do we need to do and what's your perfect scenario uh, to address this problem, because obviously, again, with the amount of housing that we need, given the presentation we saw on the third, mm -hmm. somebody got to st start putting a shovel in the ground here really fast if this is right. really going to turn around. Yeah, I mean, I would like, I would really like the city 
and the state to say, we cannot rely, we're not going to rely on the market. We're just going to do this ourselves. We have, um, you know, a historic surplus of money right now, and we are going to use that for, uh, to create actual housing, to create, you know, multifamily housing, to say, we're going to allow ourselves to, to do this and, and encourage others to do it. But I think at the same time, a sort of a stopgap measure like rent control or uh, commitment to rental assistance is is crucial, and other rental you know protections that that allow for stability to keep folks from being evicted without cause, or provide you know right to counsel for folks facing eviction, things along those lines, okay. tools that help promote stability. Um, but yeah, in my dream world, everyone gets together and says, okay, let's create this multifaceted approach and not focus on this thing, you know, exclusively for six months and then this other thing, but rather understand that it's it's a symphony of things that have to be brought to bear on this and, you know, get to tuning. Mm -hmm. Serge, I can't thank you enough. Thank you so much. Um, we're going to talk about this again, as I mentioned. So this is a long, long, long conversation. Thank you to Professor Serge Martinez, Councillor Tammy Feeblecorn, and Jean. Remember, City Council is voting today, Monday, during its 5 o'clock meeting on that memorial, urging the end to the statewide ban on rent control. As always, thank you for listening to the podcast. If you like it, please check out our show. It airs Friday nights at 7 o'clock on NMPBS. If that doesn't work for you, we always repost it on our YouTube channel, on our Facebook page, all of our social media pages so that you can watch it there too. We also post individual clips so you don't have to watch the whole show at one time. You can watch individual segments whenever it makes the most sense for you. Also, please keep an eye out on our social media pages for updates throughout the week and for previews leading up to our show on Friday nights. Thanks again, guys. I'm senior producer Lou DeVizio for Monday, October 17th, 2022. This is New Mexico in Focus, the podcast. Have a great week, everyone.